0: All right, 1 Timothy, chapter 1. We're continuing our study there. 1 Timothy. It's in that New Testament, if you haven't figured that out yet. All right, there we go. In our first lesson, of course, we learned about Timothy and his upbringing. We talked about the fact that he had a Gentile father and a believing grandmother and mom. And we talked about the influence that was in his life in spite of the fact that he probably was also bent toward, uh, you know, paganism. And yet we find that the Lord was so gracious to him. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ brought a man by the name of Paul into his life and uh, into his family's life and made an impact and a difference. A major difference and as a result of that we're going to find that ultimately timothy is sent by the apostle paul even to Ephesus there to uh... continue in the work of god to uh... encourage the people of god the fact is is that <clears throat> paul the apostle was keenly aware that um, doctrinal purity was important it was very significant it was absolutely necessary and as a result of that he uh, Took matters into his hands and said, "Listen, we're going to make sure that there's somebody there in Ephesus that's going to be a watchdog that's going to take care of the business and make sure that they're staying straight and on target." And uh, so he sent Timothy, and uh, he sent him there to expose those uh, heresies and those falsehoods, and to also to extinguish those heresies as well. And then in our second lesson, we understood and learned that the Apostle Paul uh, was going to ultimately points out the uh, errors of the Judaizers. And um, even those that were misunderstanding what grace really was and how it fits and how it works. And, um, and so he dealt with those issues. And then today, you know, we're going to move along in our, our lesson. Uh, and we're going to begin with verses, um, <clears throat> excuse me, verses, uh, i got to find it, 12 through 17. 12 through 17, and we're going to move along here. We saw the loss of truth. And we considered that. We saw the law of God, and now we want to look at the love of Christ tonight. And just consider that from the perspective of the Apostle Paul as he addresses it here in chapter 1 of Timothy. And again, the book of Timothy is a powerful book, obviously. It's uh, an amazing book, really. And I think that if you're a young man today and you're listening to uh, these, these, um, this series and you're considering the Word of God, you've got to kind of put yourself in that spot and say, Okay, okay wait a second. Paul the Apostle, you know, the mentor, uh, <clears throat> Timothy, his protege, is listening to Paul now, and boy, i tell you what, he's trying to teach him something for the future, and trying to help him in the ministry, and boy, i tell you what, you ought to have ears open today, and you ought to be saying, "Well, what can I learn? What, what can the Apostle Paul teach me? Because if I lived back then, he'd be talking to me too, and so he's talking to all of us though, and he's sharing with us, and he's going to encourage us from the Word of God, and so today, we want to consider the love of Christ. The love of Christ here in the passage, beginning verse 12 through 17 is what we're going to look at. Let's go ahead and read them together. I'll read aloud, you read silently. And then we'll go back and kind of break it down just a little bit. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was therefore a blasphemer and a a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might shew forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Those are some good verses, aren't they? Well, we're going to break them down a little bit and see what we can't learn from them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you now for this time together. We're asking you, Lord, to speak to us through the word of God. Father, the word of God is the key to everything. We can all have opinions. We all have ideas. We all kind of, if we're not careful, you know, come to our own conclusions Lord, it's the Word of God, however, that we need to filter everything through, our every thought, our every belief, our every idea. Now, Father, tonight, may you just allow this Word, Father, to truly penetrate our hearts and make an impact in our lives. Again, Lord, may you just move me out of the way. It's really about you and your Word, Lord, not about me at all. So, Father, be glorified in the midst of it all tonight. May you just bless us, and may we be different for having come tonight. Well, thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. So we see the love of Christ. Considered here in verses 12 through 17, first of all, Paul's gratitude is evident here in the passage. Right off the bat in verses 12 through 14, he begins to share those things. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. We have a very grateful, very thankful apostle. He was grateful that God counted him worthy, especially when you consider his past. When you think about the past of the apostle Paul and you think about now where he stands and what God is using him to do. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, it's an amazing thing. And the Apostle Paul is extremely grateful and thankful to the Lord for allowing him to be in the ministry, counting him worthy to be in the ministry. And, you know, <clears throat> the Holy Ghost was able to entrust Paul with a, a tremendous truth. We know that the fact that the Jew and the Gentile had come together as part of one body, that was a truth that the Apostle Paul was received from the Lord and that's a that's a a truth that was entrusted into his watch care and and also we think about this same paul this same uh... man who was also entrusted to write thirteen if not fourteen books of the new testament i mean he was entrusted by the holy spirit with these wonderful and amazing responsibilities and you know what he could be trusted because he was a man of integrity and you know the the apostle paul was grateful that the lord could trust him but also God had seen something in him that said, hey, he's, he's definitely trustworthy. Now, again, Saul was a very young, but he was a very zealous persecutor of the believer. There's no doubt about that. Early on in his life, we know, hey, Brother Tony's here. I didn't expect to see you here, Brother. Amen, Brother Tony. Good to see you, buddy. All right. <clears throat> well, amen. And, uh, but he was a young and he was a zealous persecutor of the church, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ again... Um, uh, Saw that his potential, he could recognize his potential. You ever known somebody that was really wicked? And you thought, boy, if only they'd get saved. Can you imagine what God could do with them if they got saved? I mean, have you ever thought that? I I thought that. I thought that about my kids early on, how wicked they were. I thought, if only they'd get saved, God could do something with them. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, but but really, you know, we think about that. And, and, you know, it's it's just uh, uh, amazing how God can take and use somebody... Because he sees them differently. Man, just like the Apostle Paul... uh, I mean, just like Jonah, God saw potential in him. He saw potential in the Apostle Paul. Think about the prophet Jonah for just a minute. Here's Jonah, of course. I mean, this guy's walking the streets of Nineveh, and he's preaching the Word of God. But it wasn't that long before that that you you wouldn't have found him anywhere near Nineveh. I mean, he was trying to find a, a boat taking him the opposite direction. He was trying to run from God as fast as he could. And yet God went ahead and put him in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights spit him out on the shore and there he went to running over there to Nineveh and before it's over with there's a whole city that's saved as a direct result of the obedience of Nineveh uh, of, of Jonah and yet I'll say this in the midst of his disobedience God could see potential in the life of Jonah and he knew that if he could only get a hold of his heart he would do something great on his behalf and he did just that and that's exactly what the Lord saw in the Apostle Paul's life he understood that if he could just get a hold of his heart that the Apostle Paul would do something magnificent and great on his behalf because the same zeal that he had towards Satan and sin would be the same exact zeal he'd have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and you know what that's important and some of you Sunday school teachers never forget this but some of the worst kids you will ever deal with in your class represent the greatest potential for Christ ever. I'm not saying that kids ought to be bad and nasty. Listen, you got a kid that's acting up in class and he's completely out of control. Listen, you take them out of class, you walk them right up to their parent and you say, listen, I can't deal with your son today. He's out of control. I can't deal with your daughter today. They're out of control. I think you're better, better suited to deal with them than I am right now. I have no problem with that. But let me tell you something. Don't you write that kid off though. Don't you write that kid off. Somebody would have wrote Paul off. I'm sure we'd have probably wrote Jonah off. But let me tell you something. God didn't write them off because he saw their potential. And may I say, if you could see past some of the exterior and see into the heart, you may say the same thing. Wow, that kid, that boy, that girl is giving me a little bit of trouble. But let me tell you, if God could get a hold of their heart, man, what he could do with them. You know what? So often we see that so evidently in the lives of people. And so don't ever forget that. Don't let yourself be discouraged by Satan because some boy or girl is giving you a little trouble in class. But he counted Paul faithful. And boy, he didn't count Paul faithful in vain, did he? Because boy, I'll tell you what, if you just look at the Apostle Paul's ministry, there's definitely fruit as a result. Now, not only do we see there Paul's gratitude, his, his present ministry there, but we're also going to note his past misunderstanding. The Apostle Paul really misunderstood a few things. Notice, if you will, there in verses 13 and 14, it says, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, again, as we consider this misunderstanding, we're going to notice that the Apostle Paul expressed some real malice toward God. He wasn't a real happy character when it came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he was a card-carrying enemy of the New Testament church. He hated the truth of God. He hated the Word of God. In the sense of a Christian's point of view. Oh, he was a Jew, so he, he would uh, elevate the Word only in the sense that he understood it and had been taught it. But, you know, the Apostle Paul did not like the Christian faith. He wanted nothing to do with it. a matter of fact, he himself states... He, calls, he says, who was, talking about himself, before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Again, as Saul of Tarsus, this guy was a Pharisee. He was rabbinically trained. That means he was in the the, the, the schools of, the, of, of the, the priesthood, if you will. The rabbinical Jewish priesthood. I mean, he was a brilliant conversationalist. He was a, a, a militant activist. Let's face it, he was on... Uh, social issues i mean he was dealing with it at that time he was a passionate nationalist he believed in his people and he believed in israel but he hated christianity he absolutely was convinced that jesus of nazareth was nothing more than an imposter that he was a fake and a phony he was a big zero and as a result of that he he just i mean went all out to destroy and to wreck christianity That was the Apostle Paul. That was Saul of Tarsus before he changed his name to Paul. So he became a very vital weapon of the Sanhedrin in order to do away with or destroy Christians and the the, the faith in Jesus Christ. And so this guy, whether at home or abroad, went about trying to wreak havoc on the church. And um, matter of fact, he describes it like this in Acts chapter 22, verse 4. He says, "And I, talking about himself, persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women." Can you imagine today if, if all of a sudden you got a knock at your door and somebody literally put you in handcuffs and hauled you off to jail? Even more so, what if they took you in handcuffs? walked you out the door, bent you over, put your head on a, 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 a flat piece of ground, and took a sword and cut it off right in front of your children and your wife. Well, how would that feel? I mean, that's the kind of man that we're dealing with here. These are the kind of things that he did prior to coming to Jesus Christ. And we get a little upset when a kid doesn't stay in a seat very long. I'm just saying, this is what we're dealing with. and. And he goes on in Acts chapter 26, verse 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul. He says, And verily thought with myself that, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I'm going to do things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He said, okay, there were times I didn't draw the sword, I didn't actually cut their head off, but I put them in prison, and when their trial came up, I'm the one that said, no, they're a Christian. And I heard what they were talking about. We found these parchments, and we know they're up to their neck in this Christian faith, in this resurrected Christ, boy, he, he, he nailed them. And then they turned around and got put to death. That's what he's saying here. I gave my voice against them, verse 10. And verse 11, And I punished them often every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He's basically saying, listen, I caused them uh, to blaspheme the God. I caused them to recant their faith. I caused them to scatter like little rats and, 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 and uh, uh, mice in the midst of some light. You know, I caused them just to go every direction possible because I was after them and I created havoc in the church the Holy Spirit of God describes Paul's threatenings like this or his activities he says breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord that's what he was doing breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord now we we got some problems in America no doubt about that we've got some issues I mean with particularly uh, it seems to me that religious freedom is certainly going to be under a greater attack than ever now but the reality is, is that we know nothing about this kind of attack yet. We really don't. We don't know anything. I'm not saying that it can't come in the near future. I'm just saying that this we know nothing about. We can't even conceive it. We can't perceive it. We can't understand it in the least. And uh, yet, the church thrived in the midst of it all. So we see the Apostle Paul and, uh, you know, his past misunderstanding. You say, well, what do you mean I'm misunderstanding? Well, notice this. I mean... He gives um, credit to ignorance. He says, the reason I did what I did, the reason I'm in the, I was in the mess I was in is because of ignorance. Um, look at verse uh, 13 again, the end of 13. He says, uh, but I obtained mercy. Why did I obtain mercy? Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is Christ Jesus, uh, which is in Christ Jesus. See, his ignorance was forgiven here. Um, Paul said, I obtained mercy. Why? Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Have you ever done anything ignorantly? You didn't know any better? I I, I mean, in our court system, that doesn't really yield a whole lot of hope, you know? I mean, you you, you do something against the law, and then you go, I didn't know. And they say, but you did it, didn't you? Well, yeah, but I didn't know. And they go, but you did it, right? Yeah, but I didn't know. And they go, go to jail. Do not pass go. I mean, you're gone. I mean, you're going to pay the price. Now, they may let you off a little easier or not, but you're still going to have to pay for it because that's the way it works. But let me tell you something. When, as a believer, when, uh, as a person in sin, when we do things ignorantly, and, and then when we come to God, God will give us. Now, watch this. God, God is amazing Okay, because His grace is amazing. God will take that ignorance. He looks at that and says, you know what? He didn't understand what he was doing. And in ignorance and unbelief, this is what he did. But you know what? He has a repentant heart. And a tender heart. And I'm going to deal with it. Matter of fact, I'm going to even forgive it. Now again, Paul must have obviously swallowed a lot of lies. Many lies concerning the faith. And, um... His teacher, Gamaliel, however you want to pronounce it, he he warned against being a little too harsh. He suggested caution when you deal with the Christians. Be careful with them, okay? If it's really of Christ, it'll continue, whether you try to stop it or not. If it's not of Christ, it'll burn itself out. Paul went, you know what? I'm not not handling it that way. There's no way in the world I'm going to let these Christians run around and destroy the faith that I grew up in, the Jewish faith they telling us that our sacrifices are no longer necessary, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the light, that he's the resurrected one, that he's God in flesh. Are you kidding me? This imposter, I'm not allowing it to take place. I'm not going to be patient enough and wait to see how it turns out. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to deal with this. He saw clearly that Judaism and Christianity were not compatible. They couldn't just coexist. They weren't going to work side by side. It had to be one or the other. And so therefore, Paul took the most radical approach to eliminate this new sect. A most radical one. Now, he was wrong in his views. He was wrong in his attack on Christianity. But he was ignorantly wrong. When he looked back, you've got to believe Paul looked back and went, I can't believe that God didn't kill me. I can't even believe that God didn't kill me. I mean, wow. After everything I did and everything I was doing. But Paul was obviously undoubtedly repentant. And his life would ultimately bear that out. And boy, God's good about taking us so that we're involved in sin. That found ourselves in many times. Let's be honest. We're not even ignorant. We're very aware that our sin. It's premeditated in most cases. And yet God is so merciful when we come to Him with a broken heart and a repentant heart. And in His grace, He washes our sin away. His ignorance was forgiven. But you know what I find to be even more uh, interesting and, and, and exciting to me is that not only was his, his ignorance forgiven, but it was forgotten. I like that part. I don't know about you, but... I've done a few things in my day that I really wouldn't want God or anybody else to be aware of down the road. Maybe you've never done those things. Maybe you've lived a sinless, perfect life. Some of you aren't even smiling or nothing. I think you believe it. I'm starting to wonder here. 1 Timothy 1.14 says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's ignorance was swallowed up in the overwhelming grace of God. Isn't that great? And so, you know, before the Damascus Road, Paul was a blasphemer, a proclaimed blasphemer, he said. He called himself a blasphemer. He, that means to revile, to rail. And he, he reviled and he railed against Christianity and against Christ. Listen, you don't, you don't mock Christianity. You don't battle Christianity without battling Christ himself. And, and so that's exactly what he was doing. He not only said terrible things about the Lord, but he also persecuted those who would profess him as Lord. And um, he'd go to any length to harm a reputation or a body if it meant somehow hurting the cause of Christ. Now... Here he is writing his protege. He's writing Timothy, his son in the faith. And he's saying, listen, my sins are forgiven and my sins are forgotten. Paul couldn't forget them. He couldn't forget them. But thank God, the Lord did. And isn't that wonderful? It's a remarkable thing to think that, that, that God can not only forgive, but that he forgives and he forgets. That's a hard concept for us to understand because we, by nature, don't forget those things. Somebody sins against us, man. It is on a lifetime. I mean, I'll never forget. Oh, I may forgive you, but I won't forget. Yeah, you've really forgiven. Yeah, you've done a good job at that. I can tell you really found the peace of Christ in your life there. It's really good. Yeah. Way to go. I'm so so sure that you have. Isaiah forty three twenty five says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions from mine own sake, for my own sake, and will not, and will not remember thy sins. Again, because the Lord controls all factors concerning space and time, he can somehow dismiss our sin from his mind. And 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 he, he he even does away with them in the universe. They no longer exist. It's as though they've never happened. Because he has power over space and time. See, we can't comprehend this. Our minds are finite. His ways are so much much better and different than our ways. We just can't figure it out. But God does. And so that sin that seems to haunt you, that one that Satan always brings back to your remembrance... Listen, that sin has been long forgiven if, God is, if it's been confessed and genuinely repented of. And it is long forgotten in God's eyes and in his ears and in his mind. Don't let the devil bind you with it. Hebrews eight twelve says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So, we see Paul's gratitude, but now, let's consider his gospel real quickly. And when we say Paul's gospel, we understand it's really the Lord's, but Paul was given a tremendous privilege of sharing these wonderful truths with the world, and ultimately, we find it bound in Scripture as a result of his pen that God used. 1 Timothy, again, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he says, "Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy?' that in me first Jesus Christ might shew forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting he says this is a faithful saying it's a faithful saying first and foremost paul would have us understand and know that the gospel of christ is based on fact it's fact You know, sadly enough, I think even as believers, we begin to doubt that sometimes. If we're not careful, boy, amidst all the the rhetoric of the world and the attack of Satan amidst our our world, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to start to wonder how real and genuine and um, factual this book is. You better be careful, because you lose sight of that, you're going to be in a mess. Talk about confused. We know God's not the author of confusion. See, the gospel is completely reliable, and it should be given universal acceptance. Everyone ought to believe it. Because people don't believe it doesn't make it wrong. It's still God's word, and it's right. So he goes on to say that that faithful saying is worthy of all acceptation. Those miraculous events in the gospels really happened. That, that actually took place. Isn't it wonderful to think that? To understand that? To know that? How many of you have ever, I mean, now again, how many of you have ever seen a prayer answered that you knew it had to be of the Lord? It had to be God. Okay, put your hand down. All right. How many of you, in the midst of a most difficult time in your life, wondered whether or not there is a God? My hand's up. Okay. Now listen to me. When you get to that place in your life the one thing you have to do is go back to that time that you remember when God did something that only he could do. You get in a tough enough fix the devil will try to get you to doubt what you think you know. And that's just a reality. Now it doesn't make you bad or good either one. It doesn't matter. If you've never been tested like that praise God. Be thankful. But if you've been tested like that The one thing you have to do is go back to that time when you knew it was God and say, wait a second, my mind is playing tricks on me. I was telling my wife the other day, that's when you have to talk to yourself and not listen to yourself. That's when you have to rehearse the promises of God over and over again and talk the truth to yourself and remind yourself of the reality of God And the truth of God. And not listen to yourself. And the many doubts that Satan will cast into your mind. He said it's worthy of all acceptation. You know. That babe was born. In Bethlehem. And angels heralded his birth. He was who he claimed to be. I mean. He was the son of God. He was God in flesh. Emmanuel. He did go about doing good and he did perform all kind of miraculous miracles. That is all true. That is factual. He spoke the truth. He spoke with authority. He confounded the doctors of the law. That actually happened. He was crucified. He was buried. And then he did rise from the dead the third day. That's a reality. That is factual and that is truth. The gospels are not as the apostle Peter informs us in 2 Peter cunningly devised fables. They're not cunningly devised fables. They're not some some um, uh, figment of man's imagination. People didn't just come up with this stuff. We didn't just, over the course of so many years, 1600 years, 40 different men that God used to pen the Word of God didn't just happen to have this drop into place and everything fit perfectly. It's not by chance. It's not by coincidence. It's not just some, some storybook. Well, those are some Really good stories. I read today, uh, so I was reading some statements of atheists. And uh, I was just amazed. And some of them talking about the Word of God. And, 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 and they were talking about that the stories in the Bible, uh, you know, actually rival, you know, episodes of I Dream of Genie. That's how crazy some of these are, they say. And I think to myself, who's crazy anyway? Believing that this just happened. Are you kidding me? Every time, if I ever doubt anything, the first thing I go back to is, how'd this all happen? Where'd it all come from? Honestly, a big bang? Where'd the bang come from? I mean, who pulled the trigger? It just doesn't make sense. And yet, we don't make sense, supposedly. It's not us anyway, is it? It's him and his word. See, it's not, no one's mad at me. No one's upset with me. The truth is, is that if somebody has a problem with what I believe or think, as long as I'm aligning myself up with God and his word, it's really him that they have a problem with. I don't need to get in an argument, I don't need to get in any fights. I don't have to even defend my position to some degree if it comes to a certain point because some people are just downright irrational and you can talk to your blue in the face, it won't do any good. But listen, all, what they have to do is one day stand before the same God that I stood before the day. I bowed my knee and said, I trust, I trust you, Lord. I can't do it without you. They're going to bow the knee one day too, but in that case, he won't be <laughs> merciful and he won't be gracious. He's going to be a judge exhibi- ex- exerting judgment. So I ought to feel sorry for them. I read some of those things today. I have a few of them in the back. I may create a message out of some of that stuff, so I don't want to give away all of them. But it was amazing some of the statements that were made. How blasphemous certain things are. It didn't make me mad at them. I felt sorry for them. So confused. So misguided. So hopeless. And here's the interesting thing as well. The fact is is that Jesus Christ came into the world. See, you and I, all of us are born into the world. He came into the world. I mean, think about that for a minute. He's the only person in history who chose the time, the place and the circumstances of his own advent, of his own coming. We didn't have a choice. We just showed up on the scene. But he, he came. He wasn't born in that regard. And he came to save sinners. He came from that glorious glorious place above, from the mansions above. He literally left that place where angels waited on him hand and foot. And instead he walked the dusty trails of Galilee where people gave him, wouldn't give him the time of day. He had no place to lay his weary head. He came because we're lost. Because we're enslaved by sin. Because we're unable to save ourselves. That's why He came. I mean, we faced the wrath of God. Hell awaited us. More than anything else, we just simply needed a Savior, didn't we? And He came. He came into the world to save sinners. We were slaves of sin. And we needed to be redeemed. I mean, we were unregenerate and ruled by the dictates of fallen human nature. It ruled us. We needed to be regenerated, made alive. We were the enemies of God. We needed to be reconciled, brought back into fellowship. I mean, we need to be justified, sanctified, adopted, and even glorified. So Paul's news was good news, wasn't it? I mean, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. (laughs) And still, and we're almost done, but still, there's this dark shadow of Paul's past that still seems to haunt him. Or that seems to strike into his heart here. Because he says, Having mentioned the fact that we're sinners, he goes on to say, of whom I am. What's he say? Chief. I'm chief, he says. Now, wait a second, Paul. I thought you were forgiven. And I thought God had even forgotten it. But here's Paul bringing it up. And I believe that God allowed him to add his little personal application for a reason. And may I tell you what I think that reason is? I think that reason is because God knew that one day, you and I, along with many other humans would look at our lives and, if not careful, say, Oh, there's no way God could save me. I'm just so sinful. I'm so wicked. And God allowed him to insert this little thing of whom I am chief. And we find ourselves saying, Well, you know, if God has already saved the chief of sinners, I suppose he could save me. I think that's pretty good. But see, remember, not only must you acknowledge... Your need for salvation. But there's another requirement. We have to accept God's offer of salvation. Paul states that it's indeed worthy of all acceptation. The word translated acceptation means to receive heartily. To receive heartily. See, the pardon that God offers needs to be received gladly. And it needs to be received heartily happily. It seems to me that a lot of people don't receive his salvation that way. They don't receive it at all. Consider the case of George Wilson. In 1830, a court in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania condemned the man to death for armed robbery of the US mail and a date was set for his execution. However, he was pardoned by President Andrew Jackson. He received a pardon. Going to let him out of jail. But for some unknown reason, don't really know why, never did find out, Wilson refused to accept the pardon. He didn't take it. His lawyers demanded a stay of execution, and they said, Hey, wait a second. You cannot execute a man who's been pardoned. You can't do it. Eventually, they carried the case to the Supreme Court. And here in part is the court's decision. A pardon is a deed, they said. A deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. It may be supposed that no being condemned to death would reject a pardon. But the rule must be the same in capital cases and in misdemeanors. So the the offer can be made. The pardon can be given. But it must be accepted in order for it to actually benefit. And you know what? That's the same way it is with God's offer of salvation. It's not enough to just have a pardon. You have to accept the pardon. Verse 16, Paul says, For this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might shew forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. He understands a couple of things from the passage. He he understands this, the patience of God. Boy, God put up with me a long time. God put up with me a long time. And number two, he understands that his life, And his salvation is a pattern of grace. When you look at the Apostle Paul, you see God in action. A pattern of grace. And may I say that pattern is exhibited in your life and in mine. God was so patient with us when we did not deserve it. And in his patience, he waited on us and he continued to love us in spite of ourselves until one day we received and accepted that wonderful gospel truth and into our life, Came floods of love and joy, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and grace was established. Not just on God's part, but now in our life. A pattern. He was a pattern. And he's saying, If I could, if, if he could save me, he can save anyone. Maybe you felt that way before. So for more than six years. The Apostle Paul responded like a madman. He was out of his mind with rage and hate for the faith of Jesus Christ and those that adhered to it. And during his rampage, homes were wrecked and ruined. Lives were stomped out of existence. Wives became widows and children became orphaned all because of his hatred for God and for the faith. But God was so patient. And the Apostle Paul on that road to Damascus that day saw the Lord Jesus Christ and heard his voice and responded to him. If you've never responded to the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to. You need to accept him and receive him. But if you have... Don't ever forget the patience that He showed you. Don't ever forget how much you truly do owe the Lord Jesus Christ for His extended grace in your life. Father, we come to You. We thank You, Lord, just for the opportunity we have.